Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden. Glad you could join me. Hope you're as psyched up as I am about the upcoming season. For any number of reasons, we are getting unclipped from our COVID leash, at least to a great degree. The weather may well be good. We have some challenges with the forest fires and the wildfires on the grasslands, but we'll get over that. So uh, we'll talk about that among other things, but we're going to have a friend of mine who you might know from Facebook, Sarah Chisnell, joining us for the bulk of our Upland Nation podcast for a whole bunch of reasons you'll find out. She's a fascinating woman, versatile dog, owner, trainer, hunter, and she's been on national TV with one of her dogs as well. So empowerment times two. I also asked you what you wanted to know about, and you answered. We'll discuss that. I'll take a look at game bird population estimates, or should I say guesstimates, for three of the states that we know and love. And it's all brought to you by Roughland Performance Kennels, Happy Jack Dog Care Products, here on South Dakota's Ringneck Nation, and Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. I mentioned the fires. We are basically surrounded yet again this year uh for for a break though we did get a change in the wind direction blew all the smoke back over the fire we had a wind come out of the east and that helped a little bit it also dropped the temperature dramatically it was actually cold this morning when i ran flick but um if you're in the midst of all of those fires um man you have my sympathy i have seen up close and personal the damage it is just unbelievable be safe out there everybody and if you know somebody who might need some help in one way or another reach out and if you don't know somebody look around and find somebody who could use some help so like i said asked about uh, what you'd like to learn more about in an online seminar webinar is what they're calling them these days and you know, I've never run one or attended one, but um, can't be too different from all the like real in-person ones that we've all been a part of over the years. I was a little curious to know what you were looking for, what you want to, what, what you want to get better at. I shouldn't be surprised at the results. I, I offered up a, a four choices, and here they are basically in priority order. Find more public access hunting ground. Yeah. All right, I know. Uh, Just like me, you know, always looking. Second on the list, think about it. Hunting dog training tips. Yes, whether you have a method or you're following somebody's work or not, you're still looking for more. Shortcuts, better ways to do things, 28% of you are looking for that. 20 of you are looking for more help with hunting strategy and tactics. And then another 19% or so are looking for uh, hacks for hunters and their dogs is what I call it. Uh, That is uh, fascinating to me. And uh, as you know from listening, we're trying to help you in all those areas and at about that level of priority as well. So uh, thank you all, everybody who responded to that poll. That one was on the Upland Nation Insights 
weekly newsletter. If you're not getting that newsletter, please sign up. Just go to, um, let's see, where do you go? You go to um, findbirdhuntingspots.com and then just sign in right there. Get on the mailing list and then we'll put you on the, the e-letter news list as well. Always love a great story, especially one with a happy ending. No matter what you're looking for, you can probably find it at Walmart. One very lucky dog figured that out as well. Abby disappeared from Dothan, Alabama, her hometown. All she left behind was an empty tie-out line. So when Abby's owner, June, and her husband scoured the neighborhood searching for their four-year-old black-and-white lab mix, they were fretful, to say the least. Three weeks later, still no sign of Abby. Then June is working the weekend shift at the Walmart when she hears a ruckus. Although June could scarcely believe it, in line, one of the express lines, of course, heading for her was Abby. Wow. Love that. Just can't wait to learn more about that kind of stuff. In more hard news, if you will, Illinois' controlled pheasant hunting opportunities are now on the blocks and ready for your application. If you're in Illinois, you know how to do that. Um, Illinois.gov slash controlled hunt. Oh, let's see. Let's start that with dnr2.illinois.gov slash controlled hunt. And in Kansas, uh, they're still one of the few states that uh, actually has some confidence in their guesstimates. Our friends over there are saying they have an overall good outlook for pheasants, quail, and greater prairie chickens across the state. There was a slight decline in pheasants, though the numbers in the northwest look to be about the strongest. So if you're heading for one of those states uh, or you live in one of those states, hey, good luck to you and uh, let us know how you do. The Upland Nation podcast is brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker Gun Care Products. They're crafted at the highest caliber, and that's not just talk. You know, Fred Bohm and the crew over there walks their talk. Everything they make is high-quality, heirloom, legacy kind of gear. From their gun grease to their shotgun cases, everything from cotton swabs to CLP, their clean lube and protect spray, sageandbreaker.com. And thank you for your support. You know, you do that by responding to some of these advertising messages, especially this one. Just got a great note from our friends in Huron, South Dakota. HuntHuronSD.com is where you go. You could win one of three Hunt Huron SD packages lodging restaurants and a real good time take my word for it i've been to all the lodging and all the restaurants on the list you get entered to win simply by requesting a free hunting packet it's full of stuff digital hunting atlas all the public ground in the area it's all right there at hunt huron sd okay You know, there are some people who are just so fascinating 
on Facebook that you want to get to know them better. And so I have done that many times. Many of these people turn into friends. They always have something to offer to me, and I hope they all all have something to offer to you when I bring them on the Upland Nation podcast, and that is the case with Sarah Chisnell. Sarah, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. You know, I, I, I don't follow anybody per se, but, but your posts keep showing up in my feed or whatever they call it, and, and I'm intrigued by so many aspects of, of what you do. Um, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lay all that out for anybody because I want you to do it. But you um, you bubbled to the top once again recently because now, uh, like me, you've been on national television. So um, we'll get to that in a moment. But let's start with your backstory. Yeah, tell me a little bit about Sarah and uh, how she got to where she is today. Oh man, where where do you want me to start? <laughs> well, I don't want you to go back to your prom date or anything like that. <laughs> but this stuff do you think is is relevant and important to where you are now? Um I guess I mean it start I've always had a love for animals my whole life. Um I was very active in 4H when I was a kid and then I got the horse bug for a long time and and I went to I chose my college based on um an equine program went to Otterbein. Uh, it's now called Otterbein University. It was Otterbein College when I went, just outside of Columbus. Was an equine science major, was on the equestrian team, did all that stuff. Um, thought I was going to go to vet school, then took a hard left and went to law school after taking an equine law class. And in law school, um, I lost my oldest horse, didn't have horses for a few years, and I got a Weimariner, um, oddly enough. I didn't know what I was doing. She wasn't a bird dog or anything like that. Um, but she kind of she kind of started my love, I think, for bird dogs. I didn't do any of the hunting stuff with her, but just I loved the energy, the the look of the dog. And then my my next dog after that was uh, my first German short haired pointer, Oscar. And that just, I've been hooked ever since. That's the only breed for me, really. Um, and him, I also didn't really get into the bird dog stuff yet with, but he he, he was my gateway dog, kind of yeah. like a gateway drug. Yep, yep. <laughs> he, I did a ton of, of sports with him. We did dock jumping. Um, I dabbled in showing because I, I he led me to United Kennel Club. Um, I was really big in the dock jumping thing right out of law school, and at a big UKC event, I met the then president of United Kennel Club, Wayne Cavanaugh, and I was looking for a job because I graduated law school at a really weird time um, during a recession, and it was really hard finding anything, and my plans for Kentucky fell through. And Wayne kind of created a spot for me, which led me to be their in-house counsel for about nine years. And led me to learn more about dogs and, and get more into bird dogs. And then my next German short hair pointer was Ozzy. And he was he was the one that got me into NAVDA. Um, I, I dabbled a little bit in UKC's bird dog program with him. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Took him into the show ring. Did a lot more sports. And the kennel I got him from, Abby Lane Kennels, they used him as a stud dog here and there. And... Finally, uh, I eventually got a, a 
pick male out of a litter. Um, and that's my boy, Sue, that I have now that has, he's been my superstar. He's, Ozzy taught me a lot of lessons, like what not to do. I did a lot of things wrong with him. Yeah, I've, I've had a training. few of those, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and and so I've taken, you know, what I learned from him and applied to Sue. And Sue, I've, I've, I finally, I, I took a lot further than Ozzy. Um, and for also while I was working in a kennel club, I did a lot of legislative work. I learned a lot about dog law, um, a lot about hunting laws i did a lot of lobbying for them um i eventually left there and you know kind of like i took my hard left in in college i took a hard left in my legal career and left all the animal stuff because quite frankly that stuff was more stressful for me than my current job which is in child welfare which sounds nonsensical yeah but dealing with the crazies and the PETA people and the animal rights people and and dealing with a lot of that stuff was far more stressful to me. I felt like I was beating my head against the wall a lot of times. Whereas where I'm at now doing child welfare law, I see results. I feel like I'm making a difference. Um, it's a lot more horrible things I'm seeing, but I feel like what I'm doing is making more progress, if that makes any sense. No, I know exactly what you feel like. I've been there and done that. I, I was there lobbying as well and head-to-head uh, -head in televised debates with the PETA folks. So, yeah, there is no logic in trying to deal with them, and, and at least there's logic in the in the legal system, I, at least once in a while at least. That's uh, Sarah Chisnell. I'm Scott Linden. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast, just getting warmed up around here. You know, you, you said something. Yeah, I mean, you were uh, uh, technically the wine was, was a bird dog, or uh, over there they – they consider them even more than that, Gebrauchshunds. But um, then you went to a short hair, and then your 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 first short hair, your second dog, kind of started the assimilation process for you. But what really pushed you over the edge? Was it something that dog did, or that you did right then, or was it getting your next dog, which is a male, by the way, named Sue? And uh, I think we get it, but I can't wait to hear that story as well. <laughs> so how how do you make the the transition and uh, jump in head first? I, you know, I don't even know the moment that sparked it. Um, we I moved to Kalamazoo to work at um, United Kennel Club, and that's actually where my my breeder Abby Lynn Kennels was, and they were always super involved with NAVDA. They hosted NAVDA training days um, on their grounds. And I saw a little bit of that and I just felt, I felt like even if I wasn't going to be a hunter or get into hunting, I owed it to the dog breed, especially ones coming from lines like this to, to teach them and to do what they were naturally bred to do, to give them that chance. And so that's why I started learning with Aussie and then Sue. So I got Sue because Abby Lane had a fire years ago, and this is this is a it's a horrible story. Their their kennel burnt down; they lost several dogs. But it's also a beautiful story of how the dog community came together and just rallied behind them. Um, a lot of NAVDA people came forward. Ugly Dog Hunting came forward. A lot of people gave money, gave supplies, helped them rebuild their kennel. Um, they almost quit breeding at that time. 
but they decided to come back from that. And they had this really nice female that was sired by sharpshooters, man in black, you know, very well known Navda short hair. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and she was out of grouse points, a grouse points female. I can't remember the name offhand. Um, Alexis Marie, I think. And super nice female. And I, they decided to breed her to Aussie. I wasn't ready for another dog then, but I got to really know that female. I had her in my house. I had her staying with me. And not only was she amazing in the field, but she had a great off switch and was really great in the house. And I was like, you know, one day, this is the female I want to, I want to pick male out of. Um, her name's June. So when they decided, you know, skip forward several years, they decided to do her last litter. Um, that was the one where I decided I would keep a pick male. And she had had some lasting damage, smoke damage, because she had been in the kennel fire. She was actually, yeah, she was actually one that the vet wanted to put down. And Rob Mormon, the the kennel owner, he said he knelt down to give her a hug and to say goodbye. And June looked him dead in the eye and put her paw on his shoulder. And he said, that was it. There's no way he was going to put her down. And they had to put a lot into her and nurse her around the clock. Um, her lungs never fully recovered, but she, she recovered well enough to still hunt, just not super long days, but she still went on his string every fall. So when she had her last litter and I had my pick male, Sue was the only male. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, was, it was an easy pick. She only had five puppies in that last litter. And I wanted to keep the Johnny Cash theme going. Um, to honor Cash, and A Boy Named Sue has always been my favorite Johnny Cash song. The, you know, there's a lot of stories behind that, too. With uh, Have you ever heard of the poet Shel Silverstein? I was just going to ask you the same question. Yes. <laughs> well, you said you called him a poet. I call him a cartoonist. You know, he, he, he wrote children's poems. I had oh, I know, I, I know, little. I know. Yeah, but, <laughs> and have you seen it? I mean, have you heard any of his other funny songs? I, that's the main one is a boy yeah. named Sue. And I think he did write a sequel to it too. Oh, he's, he's written funny songs for country artists. Uh, now there's a, a spade of them for 15, 20 years. Uh, and, and most people don't know that. So see, seek him out shell, just like it sounds, but one L Silverstein, just like it sounds. The guy's hilarious. Yeah. And I love those books when I was a little kid. That's so, so funny. That's that's how I came to that name, and I really was going to try to do a different call name, but I'm like, you can't, you can't use this registered name, a boy named Sue, and not call the dog Sue. So, it stuck. It fits him. He's he's a very masculine. He he pulls it off, I think. Well, and he hates his dad, so it's, he's living <laughs> out the song. Well, you know, just like the character in in the Cash song. Um, you and Sue together have probably had your share of, uh, I'll be diplomatic and call it uh, uh, explanatory discussions with people about the name. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, even when we went on the the TV show you mentioned, Mm -hmm. that was everybody, there were so many younger people um, on the crew for this show. I mean, whatever, what's younger than millennials? It's, you know, the kids in their 20s. Yeah. And they didn't know. They didn't know the song. (laughs) They had no idea what I was talking about. 
I'm not surprised at that uh, at all, not at all. But uh, uh, we'll talk about the television appearance, among other things, coming up. But what you know, what is it you love most about Sue and his work, and where you get to go with him? He just—we've been bonded since, you know, since uh, even before I took him home. But mm-hmm. definitely once he came home. He came into my life right on, right on the heels of my divorce. Um, so he was the first dog that's ever been truly just mine. Um, and he, his work ethic and his drive is just unbeatable. I mean, my youngest, I have another younger short hair, Lana. She's also got that incredible drive too. But his connection to me and that he wants to work for me and that is the biggest reward to him is just to get to work with and for me. Whereas my youngest female, Lana, she loves it. She's got that drive. She's got that bit ability, but she's more independent. And I think she would even go work for other people. And as long as she gets to work, it's still great. Whereas Sue, it's, it's about that connection to me. So how do you think you, did you cultivate that or is it just something that, uh, that develops naturally? I think it's both. I think it developed naturally. Um, I think it's a little different between male and female dogs for mm-hmm. me. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think it's a lot of it's just him. It's his breeding and it's it's the time he came into my life. And I mean, he's I'm pretty attached to him. He's I haven't gone many nights without him. Um, there was even a period in my life a few years ago I was you know, considering what to do next in my career and was looking at the military, um, which I know is strange late in life, but I, w- I was looking at joining JAG in one of the branches. Sure. Yeah. I, and I really didn't want to leave him for the four, <laughs> four or five months it would take uh, to, to do all the officer training and stuff. And, well, and he, it was definitely a factor in that. And he's grateful for it, by the way. So I can I can almost I assure you. Yeah. Well, we're just uh, we're just uh, warming up. As I said, we've got uh, some public access information. I'm going to tell you a little bit about how to get along in rural America. We got some news. Uh, another population estimate or two for the game bird situation this year. That's Sarah Chisnell. I'm Scott Linden. You're listening to the Upland Nation podcast, Sarah. Kick your feet up, top off your glass if you got one handy, and uh, the rest of you, pay attention. Happyjackinc.com, happyjackinc.com. Write it down or just go pick up your phone and, and, and go there right now. If you're getting ready for hunting season or maybe you're actually in the thick of it if you're a grouse hunter or a dove hunter or something crazy like that, um, Get some of this stuff that's going to help your dog this season. There's a lot of stress on a dog. He doesn't need all the other stuff working against him. They've got vitamins for you. They've got parasite control. You know I love that DD33. I spray it on every time we're in tick country. Nothing around his neck, nothing he has to swallow. I just spray it on and it keeps all the baddies off flick. And then in the kennel, the flea beacon. It's it's kind of one of those magic products. It's got a little light and a little tray, and the fleas just hop on in, go for the light, and then they fall into the tray, and they never come out again. Non-toxic, refillable. The Flea Beacon is one of the many products I love from happyjackinc.com.
And speaking of products I love, uh, Flick never goes anywhere without his Roughland Kennel. R-U-F-F Land Kennels. Roughlandkennels.com. Learn all about their multiple colors, sizes, all of the accessories. There are two that I particularly like because they nest on top of Flick's kennel. One is kind of a storage tray with about three gallons of water in it. I've plumbed it up so I can run a hose down and hose him off on a hot day. Mainly I share it with other people's dogs. And then a plain old storage tray. It nests right on the top, so it's not going to slide around. It's evidence, among many other evidences, Your Honor, Sarah, Counsel, that Doug Sangle is a dog guy. He's put some significant thought into all this stuff, and it comes through in all the products at RoughlandKennels.com. Okay, that was your um, first warning, Sarah Chisnell, and here's your second one. I told you the music would come up, and then I would say, hey, are you still there? I'm still here. Thank you for your kind attention. Um, Love what I read about you. Love what I learn about you. Let's go to um, probably the biggest question that many people would have for you if they follow you at all or they know you. How the hell did you put Sue on national television and why? Well, (laughs) I'm not even sure really where to start with that. I guess it backs up a few years um, when I was living in Kentucky and I had a German Shepherd and was getting into the sport of Schutzend. Mm -hmm. And we started, I started bringing Sue around um, for the obedience portion to teach him to heal was really what I was bringing him around for. And by the way, did, did it work? <laughs> the obedience? Yeah, the, the healing part. Well, he earned his BH, which is the first level, the first level title in Schutzend. Oh, um, yeah. He's one of, I don't even know how many short hairs, probably less than 10, I'd say. Wow. Um, In the U.S. to do it. So... It did work. His his obedience, it, it's not quite transferred over to NAVDA. He got a three in healing on his UT, but his uh, his focused healing is, is pretty, it's pretty neat. Um, but that's what I was doing. I was playing in Schutzen with him for that. And one night, I don't know, probably after a few drinks at training, we tried a little bite work with him and he just took right to it. It's not something I would try with every short hair. But it's he loved. I've always used tug as a reward for him in different training aspects, and he loves. He's got great ball drive, and he just took right to it. He's got a phenomenal grip. He's got a great bite. He's he's impressed some Schutzen people out there, which is pretty funny. And I started playing in, in Schutzen with him, and and I'll get back to it. I I definitely want to finish it with him. Um, once we finish our NAVDA work. And I don't know if you know much about Schutzen, but it's got three phases. It's got the obedience portion. There's obedience in all portions. Mm-hmm, it's kind of mm-hmm. like NAVDA. Yeah. There's a lot of control to all parts. Um, and then they got to do a protection phase and they have to do a tracking phase, which is tracking human footprints. And he was doing great at all of it. 
And I moved back to Ohio and refocused him on NAVDA. And, and I didn't have, I had a fantastic training group in Kentucky with uh, Diamond and Christina Hansel. Both of them have been on world teams for Schutzend. Diamond was the captain at least once or twice. They breed Malinois um, and they loved Sue. They, <laughs> I, I have a lot of pictures of Sue doing bite work with Diamond and Diamond's just smiling because <laughs> Sue, there, there's no anger there. He's not, he's not angry like a, a German Shepherd or a Malinois, but he just loves doing it. And so he's got that foundation. And last winter they did a casting call for America's Top Dog because they had done one season. And they wanted, they were looking for more floppier dogs. They wanted less Belgian Malinois, German Shepherds, things like that. They wanted more of a variety. And several people sent it to me and they were like, oh my God, you have to, you have to try out for this with Sue because he can do bite work. He can do scent work. He can do all that stuff. Um, So I applied I made it through the first round last winter and then I didn't hear anything for months and I figured I just didn't make it or whatever, but they had put the filming on pause because of COVID. Sure. And they started recap reworking it again in July and I reapplied and a friend in California that had made it, um, put in a good word for me and they reached out to me. We then had to do, I think I had to do a phone interview and I made it through that round. And then we had to do a Skype interview where Sue had to be on it. Oh, I love which it. Which was pretty funny. Cause he hated it. He like, he had to sit on the couch next to me and he was just immediately bored and kept sliding off the couch and didn't want to sit through it. Just kept rolling around, just being a turd. Um, and it's funny they used a little tiny portion of that on our um, on our portion when we made it on New America's Top Dog on our episode. I love it. Um, well, you know, I, I just just to give him the benefit of the doubt, maybe their questions to him weren't challenging enough. No, he was he was bored from the get go. It was <laughs> he he wanted action. <laughs> he, he was like, "This is too much talking." Yeah, they should have had a squeaky toy or something. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So, so just describe for us America's Top Dog. Now, I watch it, and so did um, like a million of your friends, and then a few other people too, probably. <laughs> uh, but, but what is this show about? I think the first season it, it was more geared towards um, police canines, mm-hmm. and that's why you have the bite work element to it. But it's kind of like, um, America. What's that show? America's ninja warrior or whatever oh yeah 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 american ninja warrior yeah it's kind of like that but for dogs so it's a crazy obstacle course you know where they have to go do a bunch of jumps they have to touch and target certain things to make um steps come down on this fire escape um he had to knock a wall down at one point they have to go over this swinging rope bridge which sue did not approve of and then jump into a pool and that's the first round. And then the <laughs> it gets harder from there. <laughs> yeah. The second round is uh, they had to do is kind of nose work um, and then bite work. They had to bite a decoy and then nose work. I thought was interesting. You could pick whatever scent you wanted. And most of these, most of the competitors, you know, if they were civilians like me, not police dogs, 
had like typical nose work scents, which are like I don't even know frankincense or something myrrh or some weird stuff. Oh, strong, I, I but brought, strong, strong. I brought duck scent. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah, I mean, talk about conversation starters. <laughs> Yeah, carrying that on the plane. Oh, God. Yeah, I love it. So so tell us how it went. Well, we did not. I think we made a, a, you know, a decent showing. We weren't embarrassing. Um, Sue did not want to go over that bridge. He just, he wasn't afraid of it. He just thought it was stupid and he kept jumping between the slats and going oh. on the ground with me he yes. wanted to be down with me I get and it. we weren't allowed we weren't allowed on the bridge um and you you were given so many tries and then you had to take a time fault um and then then we went on and finished and jumped in the pool and he had a nice little jump into the pool but they did it it was a different format than the first season they put us in pairs and it was head to head and you had to beat the person you were running against to make it to the next round. So it wasn't necessarily the top, you know, three or four dogs made it to the next round. It was only the dogs that beat their uh, running mate. Yeah. And we were paired against this. Okay. Let me back up a little bit. We were told there were not going to be any non police uh, Belgian Malinois because, you know, they're, they're kind of freaks. Yeah. And I get the one exception. Oh, and it's this dog named Monkey who is a stunt dog um, for Hollywood. The dog can walk tight ropes. There's <laughs> no way. Even if we had run that course perfectly, we were not beating him. Um, so we didn't make it to the next round, which I'm a little bummed about because I think he would have he would have put on a good showing on that for sure because his scent work would have been great. You know, he was coming on the heels of his UT test. This was honestly just a week after he did, he got his prize one in UT and then the bite work just would have been funny because you're not expecting a bird dog to go out and bite, bite a decoy. And we had actually done a little bit of training refresher training last summer, even though I was training for utility. So to be honest, the America's top dog took a backseat to my utility training. That was more important to me. Well, we, but, we can appreciate that. Yeah. So, although there was a $10,000 prize in the balance on America's Top yeah, Dogs, I didn't totally true. shirk it off. Yeah, that sure beats a plaque. Yeah, but I the thing with Sue is we had done all shits and work, so he had only ever bitten a sleeve. Uh-huh. So, what they had on America's Top Dog was a guy in a, in a full suit. And Sue had never even seen that. So I got with my local sheriff's department since we work with them and I'm in children's services anyways. And they were happy to work with me. And they um, came out and did a couple rounds with him in a, in a bite suit. He did not get it at first because <laughs> he's not aggressive. He would, he just would bounce off of them. Like I am really, am I supposed to bite this guy? Like you're, I don't see a sleeve to bite. But he finally got it, and he would go for the armpit every time, which is kind of funny. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you said he was a short hair. I, you know, that'd be like a wire hair thing. Well, maybe he's got some of that back there. <laughs> well, I, I watched the episode, and I tell you, you both 
Um, you're, you're inspirational in so many ways. And, and I, people, if you've never been on national television, you have no idea what it's like, let alone in a competitive situation like that. You both deserve a prize. If I had a $10,000 check, I'd send it to you right now and send <laughs> another one to Sue. Keep up the good work. And, and also, I just love the idea. They, they called him something funny in the way of it's a bird hunting dog or something along those lines. Yeah, I think. They, they never just they said bird dog, breed. you know? Yeah. But he was a bird hunting dog. And in that, <laughs> that in itself was worth its weight in, in gold. But, uh, but thanks for representing us and appreciate that a lot and good on you for even trying it. Let's go to something where you actually, um, uh, came out, uh, maybe slightly better depending on how you define success. And that is your NAVDA career. You've, uh, you've taken Sue, um, as far as UT right now. And, and am I, do I recall your, are you aiming for an invitational? We're in the invitational. Okay. Actually, um, uh, we run uh, September 17th. Nice. So, well, good luck on that. And, 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 if you want to, and I told you this too, but there are people out there who maybe don't know what NAVDA is, let alone what the Invitational is. NAVDA is the North American Versatile Hunting Dog Association. And there's one, two, three, four levels of testing. The Invitational, you have to qualify at the third highest level to get invited to go to the Invitational test, which is basically... Um, it is a tour de force, and I've described it, and I made an episode about it as the America's Ninja Warrior dog hunting test. Uh, so watch that on my YouTube channel if you want to get a flavor for all of the challenges there. But for you and Sue, what are the things that you're working on right now for that? Um, I mean, we're working on all of it. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, you think you have things right and solid and then you, you know you start having hiccups i always I, I feel like in dog training you get one thing tightened up and you spring a leak somewhere else and that's kind of where we're at right now um it's a lot it, it's a lot to train for and i, I think the biggest hardest part for him is going to be the brace work mm -hmm. in the field mm -hmm. um He's still, I, I was just telling someone this, this past weekend I was training with that it is still the greatest thing in the world to him for a bird to be shot over him. It's never going to get old for him. And you see some of these dogs that have so much control when, you know, they're steady through wing, flush, shot, drop. And it's almost like a, a person standing with their hands crossed and they're just waiting to be told to go. Whereas Sue is like his claws are digging into the dirt and he's just ready to explode the entire time. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he breaks. Well, you, <laughs> <Still>. mentioned, <laughs> you mentioned my friend uh, Terry Wilson at Ugly Dog a while back and, uh, and he, he said it best. Uh, he said, you know, any dog can pass a utility test on any given day. Any good dog can pass. But to pass the invitational, you got to be good and lucky. Yep. The rails are very slippery. And um, so, again, 
uh, you know, just rising to the challenge and having the nerve to do it is, is a, you know, uh, an accomplishment for anybody. And I've seen everything you can name of happen at an invitational. Um, are you training anything in particular in a way that has helped you with it, whether it's steadiness or backing or that water work, you know, the lot, that long water crossing to a, uh, basically to a, uh, a blind search on the other side has got to be a challenge. You know, honestly, that's been one of his stronger points. Although nice. this past weekend he had a little bobble for whatever reason, he went out and came right back. But as soon as I resent him, he went straight across, but he's taken really nice straight lines. He's doing good on that. Um, which, and that's something I kind of started working on before he even got his UT um, prize one was starting to work some straight line blinds on land. Um, I've trained with retriever people over the years. I used to do a lot of HRC when I lived in Michigan. And when I worked for United Kennel Club, that's hunting retriever club. Um, it's, it's just like AKC's retriever hunt test. It's a little bit different. It's always been open to all gun dog breeds. Yeah. Always since its inception. And it's a little more, and I'm not bashing AKC or their retriever test at all, but HRC is a little more, feels more realistic to hunting to me because I don't know if you're familiar with it at all, but you, you have to wear camo head to toe as you, as you would duck hunting. You have to handle a real gun and that's part of the rules um, is gun safety. Like you can fail an entire test because you didn't demonstrate proper gun safety and it, it, to me, that's a little different than, you know, AKC, you don't have to wear the camo. You don't, it's not a real gun. It, it, it's a wooden gun. I think you handle. Um, and I, I've worked with those people for years and I think that's created a good foundation for all of his water work doing the blinds and also the marks. Oh yeah. He's done marks for years. He's done. I, I did a started hunting retriever test like years ago before he even did utility and that's set him up to do those clean retrieves and do marks so for me the field work's been harder because i train so much on my own you know when i'm not training with my chapters yeah and i work full time i I don't have all the equipment i don't have all the land i don't have access to all of that so that's been a lot harder to teach him especially backing i really i didn't think he was going to take to backing like he 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 has because when I've run him, you know, I wild bird hunt in the fall and I've run him and Lana together and both of them are jerks and will steal point from each other. <laughs> and he's especially bad. He will blow right by her on point. Well, that, pr- that proves there's there. some wire hair somewhere way back in the pedigree. <laughs> right there. That's uh, Sarah Chisnell, by the way. I'm Scott Linden. This is the Upland Nation podcast. Hopefully you figured that out. If you didn't, now you know. Sarah, you, you, you know, you too have risen to so many challenges and you just alluded to another one, but, but, but I, before I get to that, I'm, I'm ahead of myself. Um, in all this training and you're not alone, there's a lot of solo trainers out there and there's a lot of solo hunters too, for that matter. What is the, what is the one piece of advice you might offer people who are, you know, like a voice in the wilderness? I got no club chapter. I got no partners. I got one dog, but I still want to be a good hunter. What kind of training advice would you offer up? I mean, my biggest help has been 
It has been NAVDA, honestly. Yeah. Uh-huh. Has been joining NAVDA and, and find a chapter. If the, if you have to drive to one, do it. It's worth it. Um, and that's where I started was with my first chapter in Michigan. You know, I was super blessed then to be living about five minutes away. I, I didn't realize how lucky I was until I moved and had to, to drive further to go to chapter training. But it I've learned more from working with different people in my chapters than anything else. I, I've taken a few lessons with people over the years, but just sitting back and listening, you don't have to take every piece of advice that people give you. You you sift through it all. You take it with a grain of salt. You apply what works to your dog. You have to train the dog in front of you. Not every type of training. It's not a one size fits all for training. Um, but I've taken bits and pieces from different people over the years and I've learned so much. I, 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 it's why I want to become a judge is to somehow give back to, to what I've gotten from NAVDA over the years. In all your free time, you mean? <laughs> yeah. That, well, I am, <laughs> I am, I've started the apprentice program. Well, while, good on you. While I'm, yeah. While I'm training, I've not just got a dog in the invitational, but I'm testing my youngest dog, Lana, in utility in two weeks, too. Well, good luck on that because, um, it's kind of like that movie on any given Sunday, you know, same thing. You know, your, your dog can be a, a hero or a goat on any day, depending on how much rain you had that day, among other things. Um, Sarah, let's talk about the main event. I mean, all the stuff we do to a great degree is just a warm up for hunting season. What's your passion in that world? I Honestly, I love hunting woodcock. So do I. They hold still. (laughs) They do, and I can actually shoot them. But, but, you know, nobody thinks about Ohio and Woodcock, do they? I have found a few spots here, but I do. um, Last fall, unfortunately, I wasn't really able to get up, um, but I go up to Michigan. Yeah. Um, I had some medical stuff going on last fall, and it was right after America's Top Dog, and I had to deal with it. So I didn't really get up there like I would like to, but that's that's what I'm looking forward to this fall is to get these tests done at this point. You know, I'm so close to them. I I feel like the cards are going to fall where they are and I'm just, I'm ready to take a break from training and go run dogs and get up to Michigan and look for some grouse and woodcock and maybe a little waterfowl hunting too. We haven't done that for a couple of years. Sure. Sounds like Sue is up for it as well. When you get out into the woods, what's, what is it that, that really gets your, uh, your juices flowing? Just being out there. I, I love hunting with other people. Uh huh. There are several people that I meet up with. So there's the camaraderie there, but I also like, you know, the days I go by myself and the solitude and, you know, the smell of fall the air watching the dogs run and when you finally make that connection and they finally find you a bird and it just i don't know it 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 gets your heart racing it's it's not like training it's it's definitely different oh yeah i i mean i wish you hadn't talked about it like that because i'm ready to go (laughs) right now but there's also challenges in all of that whether it's managing a dog driving a long way What, what is the biggest challenge you find for me everybody knows it I can't hit the broadside of a barn if it's right in front of me. How about for you? What's the big challenge? 
Oh, shooting is definitely yeah. a challenge. For me. <laughs> Good. Um, I get I get way too, you know. I, I it's hard for me to put it all together, but I definitely see my dogs come unglued. All that lovely training and steadiness that we have in in the hunt tests and stuff. It definitely it, it doesn't hold true for me, and I think a lot of people in the in the woods. You... And you don't want them to. I mean, when those grouse are running, there I don't want them to be so steady. I get it, and and I know exactly what you mean. And 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 there is hunting, and there's testing, and we know the difference. Yep. And you know we're all grown ups about that. But you alluded to something uh, in the testing world that is still true, even in the hunting world, and that is, you have good days and bad days, and uh, you can only do so much. What do you what do you tell yourself when you're having one of those crappy days, or when your dog is off the rails? I mean, wh- how do you keep going? I mean, sometimes you just got to reel them in and reset and and call it a day and start over the next time. Yeah, that works for me sometimes. (laughs) I do it in training. It it can be hard, you know, because sometimes you want to push through it and end on a good note, but sometimes you just, you just have to end. Period. And and do a reset. Yep. How, How do you keep your dog in shape? for hunting season your dogs now now you're back to two again so uh what do you do to 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 build up stamina typically i do a lot of um uh can across which is where i run with a belt and they are hooked to a harness in front of me Mm -hmm. um i haven't been doing as much of that this summer because it's just been so humid and so hot and i've been getting up and running before to keep myself in shape in the morning before work and it just doesn't work with their feeding schedule Mm. Um, so just been doing a lot of you know free running taking them for hikes when I can lots of swimming lots of swimming because we've been doing all this blind work and duck search and all that fun stuff so swimming has been their main main way of keeping them fit you're lucky you have water nearby you can use for that some of us live in the desert Yes, um, I am grateful for that. If if you had to 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 leave with one more bit of dog care, dog motivation, dog training, hunting advice, uh, what would you tell me that might help me? I think the biggest thing for me that I try to keep in mind and remember that it's at the end of the day, it's, it's not about the hunt test. It's not about the plaques. It, it's, it's about the bond with your dog and it's about the connection with your dog. And are you having fun? And that's what I remind myself of all the time. Like it's when we have a bad training day or we don't pass that test, it's still, I go home with that dog and, and he's my buddy. So, and that's what we have to all keep in mind and remember isn't that the truth? Uh, words to live by Sarah Chisnell, um, Facebook friend. And now I hope personal friend, thanks for being a part of the Upland nation podcast. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. You're welcome. And so are you, everybody who's sticking with us and paying attention, even if it's your divided attention, I don't mind at all. That's the whole point of a podcast. Go ahead and drive, but Make sure you stay below the limit. I got some more news for you, among other things. So uh, listen up. 
Minnesota, speaking of rough grouse, the Minnesota rough grouse population counts from the spring are down. But if you know those birds in that country, you know it's because they're on the bottom, they're heading for the bottom end of the 10-year cycle, uh, which is pretty reliable up there. The peaks vary from 8 to 11 years. The most recent peak occurred in 2017, so do the math. Iowa, if you liked what you saw last year, you'll probably like it again in 2021. Based on their forecast, the pheasant population should be at least as good or maybe higher than last year, according to our friend Todd Bogenschutz. I just love saying that word, Bogenschutz. He says their model for forecasting is 30 years old and it's proven itself. And I love to hear that kind of news from anywhere, let alone one of my favorite states. So uh, good luck if you're heading for Iowa. One of those, well, it used to be right on the top of the list. Now it's kind of in the middle, but it's still worth a visit. The Upland Nation podcast is also brought to you in part by Dr. Tim's Performance Dog Food. I've been learning a lot about artificial colors, and uh, hey, the good news is Dr. Tim's natural performance dog food has none of those. If there's a color with a number next to it on your dog food's ingredients label, run away as fast as you can. Those colors are used for all sorts of things, and none of them are good. You might remember the old days when uh, one of those red colors was actually yanked from the food market for human beings. Well, there's all sorts of bad things in artificial colors, but that's just one of the things Dr. Tim's natural performance dog food does not have. No artificial preservatives either. But go to the website, D-R-T-I-M-S, and learn all about why these things are so important. Find out where the ingredients are coming from, and then find a formulation that works for you. Once you do, 30% off your first order. Just use the code UplandNation. Free delivery, just like all those big shots who don't really give a rip about hunting dogs in the hunting community. Dr. Tim Hunt does. D-R-T-I-M-S dot this land is your land well a lot of it is out here most of it over there some of it and that's not even counting the stuff that's owned by somebody who will let you walk on their land if you're the right kind of person and you go about it in the right way and that's kind of what i want to talk about today you know uh of course, there are the usual suspects that can help you find access to publicly available land. Bird biologists, your fellow dog club members, you are a member, right? Chambers of Commerce and Visitors Bureaus, the local chapter of a conservation group of which you're a member, you are, right? Those are all very helpful and useful, so don't neglect those. But here are some folks when you enter a new town that you might not have thought about, your friendly bartender, the local UPS driver, postal workers, they're on the road all day, every day, grocery store clerks, the guys sipping coffee next to you at the diner. You know, if you can strike up a bit of a conversation and you have no expectations, all of a sudden gates start opening. They don't owe you anything, so be circumspect and humble. Spend your money locally when you're traveling. Trust 
but verify. That way you won't be going on too many wild goose chases. And then finally, remember, when you go into a small town and they got those signs up that say, welcome hunters, it's because in their area, hunting may well be the only form of economic development. Well, that little lecture, which I appreciate you listening to, is brought to you by findbirdhuntingspots.com, where I'll spill the beans on some places you might want to go. Also, ways to train and care for your dog. And this time of year, search the gear and gadgets section for my ultimate upland checklist. One listener described it as uh, everything except the semi-truck you need to haul it in, but If you've ever forgotten a dog or a shotgun on your way out of town, the list will help. It has me and it has a whole bunch of other people as well. With that, I'll thank you once again for your listening. Please tell a friend. That's how we grow. You tell one friend. He tells another friend. She tells another friend. You want to talk anytime, go to the Wing Shooting USA or the Upland Nation Facebook pages. I'm on there way more often than I should be. But that's all right. I don't mind talking bird dogs and bird hunting anytime. Thank you to those who have left ratings and reviews at Apple Podcasts lately. Your kind words are most appreciated. Thank you to all our sponsors and all of you who talk to me every day on Facebook. I'll leave you with this bit of wisdom. Can't find out who actually authored it, but hope it brings a smile to your face. If aliens saw us walking our dogs and picking up their poop, who would they think is in charge? You know, take me to your leader. I'm Scott Linden. Thanks for listening to the Upland Nation podcast. I'll see you in the field.